start with prayer. I have a, I have about five messages I'd like to share, but um, I think I should do one. <laughs> but we'll see what God, what God does. Um, pray with me, please. Uh, Father God, we just come before your throne in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So thankful that the doors are open to us, that that veil has been rent, and that you, Almighty God, Creator of everything, our Father, our Savior, that you hear our cries right now. And we've come before you, Lord God, in praise and in worship. And now, Father God, we want to hear from you. We would ask you to open our eyes of understanding and to give us revelation in your word that you would open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to partake of what your heart would say to us tonight, Lord God. There's many different people here, Lord, in different phases of their walk with you. Many people here tonight who have different needs, Lord God. And I'm asking that you would supernaturally take your word and break it and bless it to feed the multitude, Lord God, right where people are hungry, right where they're thirsty, right where they're hurting, Lord God. You know every soul here tonight. And then may they have leftovers to take home and to share. And we will give you all the praise, all the glory. Please lead me and guide me by your Holy Spirit and keep me out of the way, Father God, that you might speak to your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last night, we started talking about um, Abraham and Sarah and how that uh, Abraham had the promise that he would have that seed that would become the nation of Israel. And, of course, we know through Isaac and through the nation of Israel would come our Savior, Jesus. And then through Jesus would come the body of Christ, us sitting here tonight. So the decisions that Abraham and Sarah made affected all of us here today. And thank God that God doesn't leave us alone on our own when he's given us something from heaven to birth into the earth. Because us people, we mess up. But when God has determined and decreed a thing, as long as our heart is yielded, even when we make mistakes and messed up by his grace, he's there to correct it. And um, we didn't read it all, but we know that the story, uh, once God gave that word that the seed was promised to Abraham, this special son, miraculous son because Sarah was burdened or excuse me barren could not have a baby once we saw that word delivered then we see the fight and the struggle with the flesh to keep that word that word from coming to pass that seed from being born into the earth and it's a pattern it's a pattern for us to learn from for anything that God wants to birth into the earth And like I said last night, the flesh and the devil are good buddies. They're good friends. They get along. They speak each other's language. And we've all got our flesh man and our carnal man. And it's ready to listen to the devil. And we all know that the word says that the devil comes as an angel of light. He'll transform himself into an angel of light. And he'll seem like like he's telling you the gospel. And we talked about how that uh, Sarah decided that it would be a good idea to help God to bring forth his promise by giving her uh, handmaid to uh, Abraham. And there Ishmael was born. We read about how that uh, Abraham just being a man, though God called him a prophet and though God fought for him, and though, though miracles came down from heaven on behalf of Abraham because Abraham was the prophet, he was the one with the word. Now listen, it's the word the promise, the predetermined counsel of God that God really fights for. 
because if you get your eyes on people and get your eyes on yourself, you're like, how could God ever bring it to pass? I've messed up. I mess up. I'm weak. I don't get so much. But it's his word. We're conveyors. We're conduits. We're holders. We're temples of the word and the purposes of God. And that's why, you know, even when I came to speak tonight, I've got to get out of his way and let his word come forth because that's the only thing with life. That's the only thing with power. That's what God gets behind. That's what God supports. That's what God fights for. That's what God sends his innumerable, innumerable angelic host on the behalf of. And this is something, a principle we've got to learn in the realms of prayer. I, I should have asked for that board, but I want you guys to use your imaginations. It's okay. And I want you to get the temple into your head, the temper, the temple, the tabernacle, the outer court, and the holy place, and then the holy of holies. And the journey of our life, and the journey in prayer, uh, on a lifelong basis and on a daily basis, on every time we approach the Father, we're going to make that journey from the outer court to the holy place to the holy of holies. And if we don't get to the holy of holies, we really aren't accomplishing anything. If we're living in the outer court, all we have is the, is the uh, first baby step, the salvation, the entering into relationship with God. But if we enter into relationship with God and never have relationship with God, never fellowship with him, never talk to him, never hear his voice, never participate in what he is doing, what a, what a wasted life. It reminds me of that parable Jesus told where, where he gave talents to the three different guys. And one of them took those talents and he multiplied it, he invested it, and he gave more to his Lord when he came back. And the second one did pretty well. The third one took it, dug a hole in the ground and buried it or whatever he did with it and hid it and did nothing with it. And when the Lord came back, um, the Lord said, you wicked servant, why didn't you do something with that? And he said, well, because I knew you were a hard man and that you were really picky. You know, basically, I was afraid I'd mess up, so I just saved it for you. Well, how will we feel if we stand before the Lord that day and say, you know, I just... I just, I got saved, and, you know, I'm not very spiritual, or I'm not this or that, and I didn't want to mess up your work, and so I just hung on until you came. The Lord is asking all of us to go into that holy place, not just pastors and evangelists and holy people that are in those books that I'm giving you, but each and every blood-bought child of God, and it doesn't matter your age. I've read about revivals where it was the little ones that God used to prophesy to intercede, to travail, to break bondages, to go out into the streets and preach filled with the Holy Ghost. And it doesn't matter how old you are. We saw Anna of great age coming into the temple, her and Simeon, the only two human beings that were able to identify the Christ child as a baby in the religious temple filled with priests. A priest had just performed the eight-day ceremony over the baby. They didn't know who he was. But there was two elderly senior citizens who had been seeking the face of God, living in that holy place in prayer, that knew by the Holy Ghost when Jesus Christ was in that temple and they showed up by his spirit. That's the kind of people God is looking for and God is calling us to be in this last hour. I want to take a principle from that story, and then I'm going to go ahead. But I, I want to take a couple of principles that I didn't share last night about the Abraham and Sarah story. 
we saw where Abraham had to let Isaac go. Isaac began to, um, he began to torment, I'm sorry, Ishmael began to torment Isaac once Isaac finally came. Remember that? Because he was of the flesh, he was a type of the flesh, and Isaac was that promised seed of God. And the flesh, your flesh and my flesh, will fight against the work of God right inside of us. And inside of that home, Ishmael was fighting against Isaac, and the Lord let uh, Sarah be stirred up to where she said, Abraham, they've got to go. And it broke Abraham's heart, and Abraham had to put Ishmael and Hagar on that altar. He had to, that was a type of a dying to the flesh right there. That was a work of the flesh that had happened, and he had to put it on the altar and die to it. It was a type of the outer court. But then as the story goes on, and he walks with God, we see God speak to Abraham one day and say, now I want you to take your son, Isaac, and I want you to take him up the mountain, and I want you to put him on an altar, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. That's another level. And that's the level that I believe is akin to where you are in this body right now. There's the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. In human terms, it's the flesh, and then the, the holy place is the, is the mind, it's the will, it's the emotion, it's the personality. And then the holy of holies is that spirit inside of us where we really, really relate and, and get uh, interactions with God deep within. If anybody's ever lost a loved one and you've gone into that mourning and that travail, where does that cry come from? It's not here. It's not in your foot. It's not in your hand. It's here in your innermost being where you were very connected to that person. And you weep and you, you know, even people that don't know the Lord, those, tr those uh, cries are to heaven, even for people who don't know the Lord from the deepest part of man. And God hears those cries. And, you know, that's what we, we talk about, the work of this church. There's cries like that all over this city tonight of people who do not know God. And, you know, God hears those cries, and he's looking for the intercessor. He's looking for the intercessor in prayer, and he's looking for the— it's also an intercessor to walk out and speak to that person, take them by the hand and bring them to Jesus Christ. This is all part of intercession, not just by yourself on, on the floor in your closet— that's one thing, man. You can go into the Bible bookstore and find a whole shelf on prayer, how to pray, when to pray, what to pray, um, you know, five keys to prayer, this formula for prayer, that formula for say this so many times, look to the east, whatever. Prayer is communion with God. It's spirit to spirit. Do you remember when Jesus found that woman at the well? And she said, you know, our, our fathers have this formula. They say, you know, over here in the mountain, that's where you find God. You guys, you Jews, you say you got to go to the temple and you got to do it this way. And Jesus said, you know what? All that's coming to an end. And the Father's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth because he's a spirit. If you want to learn about prayer, you can go to the Bible bookstore. You can buy all of those books and you can, you know, it's not really much different than the Catholic Church, you know, Hail Mary or, or this comes from the Holy Ghost and there is no shortcut. There's no other door. There's no other avenue but the blood of Jesus and communion with the Holy Ghost. And how did I learn to pray? The same way I'm learning how to pray right now in my life. I get on my knees and say, Holy Ghost, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. It doesn't matter what I'm praying about. The older you get in the Lord, the more you experience with him, the less presumptuous you become. 
When I was a young girl and I was living with my Pentecostal grandma who prayed me in, and she was the most shy, reserved, kind-hearted, angelic grandma. And I had been in the Lord for about three months, and all I did day and night by the grace of her letting me do this in her house, and I didn't, she didn't make me go and work. She knew I had gotten born again. She knew I, had, I was in the process of being delivered from all the garbage I had gotten myself into. And she just let me be in my room, and I would pray, and I would fast, and I would study, and then she'd take me to church. And in about three months, my head was about this big. I thought I was a spiritual giant. I thought I knew everything. And God was giving me grace to really retain the word. And and, uh, one afternoon, I was praying with my grandma. We were having a prayer meeting together, and she had her little list. Her type of prayer, she, she prayed prayers of petition. And she had her list, and she was faithful to bring it before the Lord with all of her heart. You know, she loved the people on that list, even if it was just somebody who delivered something to her door that she never met that day and and a short conversation would happen and they'd go away and she'd be saying oh lord and that man who delivered the flowers that you'd heal his wife that he said was sick and you know they'd go away and not know that this lady was bringing their petition before the lord she was a beautiful saint of god and at any rate this prayer meeting that she and i had she would say lord here's the situation with so and so you know how it is lord just undertake just do what's needed. And she'd go on to the next one. And I was like, well, wait, don't we have to travail? Don't we have to cry? Don't we need to give God like five scriptures? And, and you know, don't we need to tell him how to, you didn't tell him how to do it. And uh, it's like, wow, my grandma prayed me in and poor grandma, she hardly knows how to pray. Well, I took my grandma to, uh, to hear uh, a lady by the name of Anna who at the time, I didn't know her and she didn't know me. We'd become uh, friends, family friends later. At any rate, this lady moved in the gifts of the Spirit so beautifully. And I talked to my grandma into going to this meeting, and we're sitting there, and uh, Anna starts to, uh, after she ministers the word, she starts prophesying over people, and she comes to my grandma, and she says, little lady, she says, oh, my, how God loves to hear you pray. How God delights in your prayers. You have such a pure heart. If God didn't raise up somebody to pray for you, you'd never pray for yourself. It just went on and on extolling my grandma's prayer life. And I learned something that day. I was really humbled and I was really chastised by the Lord. And I began to learn something that I'm still learning. We all pray differently. It's the heart. It's the heart. And on the other hand, don't judge somebody who's fervent and, you know, on fire and, and wild in their prayer. You know, maybe God moves through them that way. And everything in between. Be who you are. Stand where you're planted in the house of God. He needs us all to be what he created us to be in the natural and in the spirit. We're all different. So, you know, you've heard it said that when, when uh, people start looking the same, it's because there's a birth defect. You've seen those, uh, those people that have that birth defect where, I mean, they're, you know, so you could be born in China and one in America, and they look like brother and sister because there's something wrong. And when, when it's of God, we're all so unique, like the snowflakes, like the fingerprints. So we are in the spirit. So we can learn from one another, but ultimately it's your journey with the Spirit of God. And if it wasn't that way, we wouldn't need God. 
we could buy the book, we could practice, we could get good, and we could do it all. I, I'm so happy Brother Jeremy said, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to build a church. Because if he knew how to build a church, God would let him build one, and it would be like all the others that everybody else knows how to build. But you're here because you're saying, God, we don't know how, but we're here. We want what you want. You build this church. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Um, so... Let's go to these psalms. Which one do I want to go to first? I want to go to, um, no, let's go to Isaiah 26. I'm sorry. I want to talk about prayer from this respect. Again, the inner court, the, the, outer, the outer court, the uh, inner chamber, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Our goal is to get to the holy of holies. We don't want to stay out in the outer court or even in the holy place where it's all mental and where it's all soulish. We want to get to the heart of God. And I want to look at the words of Isaiah. Now, remember, Isaiah is a prophet of God. If you've ever read the book of Isaiah, the mysteries and the future that God showed to this man, his intimacy with God. When we read things like the book of Isaiah, after a while, sometimes it becomes like poetry to us because we don't know what he's talking about half the time. So it's like, oh, those are pretty words. But, but as you learn the word of God and you begin to read between the lines and see, this man saw Christ. This man saw the Savior coming. He saw the suffering Messiah. He saw the mysteries of God. And there he was way back there in his day. How frustrating to try to relay these deep spiritual things to the people of his day, which are just like the people of our day. We all want to live in the here and the now for the natural things. But it's so beautiful. You know, it's a lonely place to be in the spirit. There can be a great loneliness to it because there's not a lot of people that are willing to live there. And you have to learn how to be friends with God. You have to learn how to be best friends with God. And you know what? God's a jealous God. And you can be right on in the things of the Spirit and still not even your own spouse understand you. And you know what? Don't get mad at your spouse because God didn't give it to them to understand where you're at because he doesn't want them to be your God. He doesn't want them to be your best friend. He wants to be your best friend. He wants them to be your second best friend. Seriously. Isaiah 26, let's go to verse, hmm, this whole, this whole chapter is really beautiful, but I'm going to skip ahead to uh, verse 8. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. He's talking, he's speaking on behalf of the whole nation of Israel right there. And that's something that will happen in the deeper realms of prayer. The Holy Spirit will begin to move on you to pray for a nation, to pray for other people, to pray on behalf of people who don't know how to pray, who don't have relationship with God. Let me throw this in really quickly here. The devil stops so many people with this one thought of the mind, this one carnal thought. You can't really be effective in praying for that brother, that sister, that neighbor, because you've told them about Jesus and they don't want anything to do with it. And so nothing you can do about it. Well, let me tell you this. That person does not have a covenant with Jesus Christ. 
This is the whole thing of intercession. You do. You and I do. What do we use that covenant for? TV will tell you, use it to get a Cadillac. Use it to get a bigger house. Use it to get a promotion. That's not, that's where James said, you, you pray and you don't get any answers because you pray amiss that it may be consumed on the lust of your own flesh. But real prayer is going after what God's going after. And the word tells us that God's, it's God's will that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So you've got two things right there. You've got a covenant and you've got the will of God. You add those two together, and you have victory. Now, God's not going to touch that person's will, but God is not limited. He's God. He's God. He has an innumerable host of angels. He has all power. If he wants it to rain or he wants it to storm or he wants it to be dry, he can send drought in their life. He can send angels in their life. He can send people in there. He knows how to get the attention of that person, and he knows how to bring people to their knees. I was running as hard and fast away from God as I could, and my grandma's prayers caught me. My grandma's prayers threw a net over me and brought me to my knees. I was in my car on the way home from San Francisco, high on uh, hashish with a bunch of other people passed out in the car, and my grandma was on her knees in Buena Park crying out to God and fasting and praying over me in the middle of the night, and the Holy Ghost filled that car, sobered me in an instant, reminded me of the Jesus I knew as a little girl, washed me, cleansed me, and caused me to be born again in that car, in that condition. That's what prayer can, that's what somebody who knows what their covenant is and what it's for can do. God loves that person. He even loves the one I hate and you hate. He even loves the one that, that we don't want to pray for because they annoy us. Go on with you. God's probably called you to lay down your old flesh and pray and stand in the gap for that. Don't you know the devil uses that person to push your buttons because he knows you have a covenant with God? It's like, I don't want that brother praying for them. And they move on them to do everything that's going to irritate you. I've got one in my life I'm thinking of right now to where I get to the place where it's like I had no emotion to pray for this person, whatever. And then the Holy Ghost will come softly and remind me. Don't you know that's the devil? Don't you know that's the devil making that person act that way so you'll let go? What if you're the only one holding on? We have that parrot, we have that story Jesus told of Lazarus waking up in hell. And he wanted so badly to send somebody to earth to warn his brothers. It's a real place. And that's what I have to remind myself when I don't like somebody. Yeah, I don't like them, but do I want them in torment forever? No. Or when you're mad at somebody because they hurt you and you want a pound of flesh or you want them to pay and, and you're tempted to pray, God, get them. You know, if they don't repent, they're going to have plenty of punishment. You know, you think about it that way. And when they're outside of God, they got plenty of punishment already. Anybody ever been outside of God? Remember all that joy and peace you had? No. No, there's no joy and peace. That's why we drank. That's why we partied. That's why we ran, trying to run from the hurt, trying to run from the chaos, trying to run from ourselves. So let's pray for those, not just the stranger. It's easy to pray for the stranger drunk on the corner and look and imagine, oh, I wonder what their story is and, you know, and have this compassion. But our brother who we know what their story is, they're an idiot. That's a lot harder, you know. They did it to themselves, but God wants compassion there. When he went to that woman at the well, he knew her whole story. 
He knew it all, and he loved her. And I guarantee you, it wasn't all those five men in the sixth one that she was on that was wrong with her. When you're on your sixth man, there's obviously something wrong with you. Praise God. Okay. So in chapter 26, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul I have desired thee in the night. Yes, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. He just made a difference there between his soul and his spirit. Of course, the prophet knew he was a triune being. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Now, those are not just pretty poetry words. This man understood that there was coming a day that Jesus Christ was going to come. He was going to end all the wars. He was going to take Jerusalem back. He was going to reign and rule from Jerusalem with his saints. And that's what Isaiah is clinging to. And Isaiah was what, maybe uh, Jesus was 2,000 years ago, and Isaiah would have been probably 400 years before that. And this man was praying with passion about something that was uh, at least 2,500 years, no, 2,500, and it's been 2,000 more, okay, 2,500, at least that long. He was looking into the future, and that was real to him. And he was praying for it and believing for it. And you know, you and I are supposed to be passionate about the second coming. You and I are supposed to understand that all of this stuff is going to be made right. His judgments will be in the earth when he returns. I mean, my mom gets so mad over the political situation in our country till she almost explodes. And... I get it, you know, I, I've studied a little bit about the history of our nation and the godly roots that we have, and it's very frustrating to see where our nation is going, but it's also prophecy. There's never been a nation from the beginning of time that hasn't fallen into corruption, and there's not going to be. All of this human history stuff is God showing us we can't do it. We can't do it. Nobody, they, he, gave, he, gave, uh, he gave the promised land to the, to the uh, Jews, and they had about 400 years to try it out. And if you study the time of the kings, most of, them, most of them didn't make it past day one before they were in sin. We can't do it. There's only one perfect king, only one king of kings, one lord of lords, and we need him to come and to reign and to rule. And I tell you what, by the time he gets here, the people that survive, the people that belong to him will be, yes, Lord, you're Lord, I don't, you know, nobody but you never. And uh, that's the way it's going to be forever, praise God. But we ought to have a passion and a desire for that. We pray about all of the little steps along the road. We get our eyes on, oh, God, you know, let the right person be elected. And that's important. We're supposed to pray for that. But that's not the end of it. We need to realize, the, and why did Paul say, pray for your leaders? Pray that there be peace so that we could all just relax and have that blessed Christian life of doing what we want to do. No, that the gospel might be preached. You go to China, you go to India today, you go to the Middle East, it's not very easy to preach the gospel. It's going to cost you your life. So Jesus said, pray for your political leaders that they will be right and that there will be peace so that the gospel can be preached. That's the only reason we're still here. 
That's the only reason we haven't been raptured. When I got saved, it was like, take me home now, Lord. What the, you know, what do I need to be down here for? You know, I found the gold. I found the, I want to be with you. But we have a work to do here. And we need to tell people. We need to tell people. I have a shyness. Like when I'm back here, the Lord helps me. But when I'm out there like the rest of you, I'm shy. I don't want to tell people anything. I like to just look at people and, you know, hide in the background. But there comes a time when we have to tell people the truth because I don't want to be there on judgment day and have that, that person say, you know, I was right there with you. You never mentioned Jesus. You never told me Jesus was coming back. You never told me there was a hell. You never told me nothing. And we have to get over this thing of, well, how will they, I need to use wisdom. How will they react? Well, at least you told them. And, you know, when that word goes into a person's heart, it doesn't matter if they spit at you, if they run away, if they hate you, that word will work. The word of God doesn't return void. It will work in them. And we've got to lay down our, our selfishness and minister to people. Who cares what they think of us? Seriously, who cares? I'm talking to me. Praise God. So, verse 8. Yea, in the way of judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Verse 9, he gets, he gets personal. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. With my spirit within me will I seek thee early. There comes a place of maturity where you're no longer asking the Lord for stuff and circumstances on all the time. What's that one thing that's in your heart and in your mind right now that it's there when you wake up in the morning, it's there when you go to bed at night, that thing that, oh, if just that thing were right, it could be a person, it could be health, it could be a job, but it's like that's the continual cry of your heart. If God would fix that circumstance in my life, everything would be great. I could serve him. I'd have peace. I'd have joy. And how many of us have had a prayer like that answered, and it's not a week later that we're in turmoil again over something else? Our rejoicing is really short. It's not about circumstances. It's not about situations. Again, you guys have heard me say this. The most unpopular promise in the word of God is, in this world you shall have tribulation. The words of Jesus. How many of you have that taped to your refrigerator? <laughs> I mean, it's not something we go around quoting, you know. <laughs> and, and we don't have to because the tribulation is there and it comes to all of us. God is looking for a people who will worship him, who will serve him, who will seek him, who will love him with all the heart, no matter what our circumstances are. And Job is the perfect picture of that. If you've never read the book of Job, please read the book of Job and notice at the outset what happens. God points Job out to Satan. The whole spirit world was watching Job's trial. And what did Satan, the accuser, say to God? He serves you. He loves you because he's got all this stuff. He's blessed. You've got this big fence around him, this big wall. No spiritual darkness can attack him because you love him so much. You take down that wall, God, he'll curse you to your face. That's what Satan said. Do you know that's what Satan says about each and every one of us? Look at them, God. You don't give them what they want, and they, they act like a baby. When's the last time they said, thank you, I love you, Jesus? All they ever say is, you know, give me this thing, fix this thing, you know, like a little nursery school of prayer. 
You ever think about that, what it must sound like to God? He wondered that there was no intercessor. Everybody's like, me, myself, and I, God. And those that are close enough to me to affect me, myself, and I. But where's the one who can look past me, myself, and I and say, God, who's on your heart? What's on your heart? Give me your heart. That's the holy place. I want to look really quick at uh, what happens when you get to the holy place. Um, uh, I, rather than trying to go to all of these, just you know, make notes so you can go back and read it for yourself. But in that holy place where you can hear the voice of God and you can hear the heart of God, because me personally, I don't want to waste any time praying for stuff that I haven't gone to the holy place with. Be out here praying wrong and praying for stuff that God's not doing and then being frustrated after years because God didn't answer the prayer that I prayed that wasn't his will. I just want to get past all that and get in there to where God's doing something. And I tell you, when you get there and you start lining up and agreeing with God's heart, you start seeing answer prayer, and your faith just explodes, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, some people who got into that holy place. Now, remember, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. All of a sudden, we have people like Elijah pop up out of nowhere. Mary, the mother of Jesus, pops up out of nowhere. We don't know her whole story. So we have to take the Bible as a whole. We have to learn the character of God and say, you know, there was something there with those people before they showed up on the scene in these incredible places. And the little girl Mary that God chose out of all living on the earth, all living women, to be the mother of the Son of God. What was she like that God selected her? Well, we see a little bit of it when the angel comes and tells her what's going to happen to her that she's been selected, that she's going to have a child. And she asks a good question and an innocent question. She says, how could that happen? I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm just espoused. We're not married yet. There's no physical way for that to happen. And the angel explains it to her. The Holy Ghost is going to come overshadow you. You're going to have a miracle baby. And Mary says, let it be unto me according to the word of the Lord. And when you get to the holy place, you're going to be challenged. God's going to say things to you that you were not expecting him to say. Most of the time when God actually speaks to me, it's about things that I was not. That's, God, did you hear what I said? Because that's so unrelated. Um, he is so much higher than us, so much bigger than us. But, you know, it didn't matter what Mary may have prayed in her lifetime. It didn't matter what it was. Jesus was the answer to it. He's so much outside of our little short lifespan. And the things that he does are the answers to the ages. And sometimes we're like, whoa, you know, we can't even relate because we're so stuck in our little, little tiny myopic world. So he tells this girl, you're going to be honored to give birth to Jesus. And you know what? When she was with her cousin Elizabeth and those two ladies started prophesying, you know what? Mary sounded like she knew something about the spirit realm how she began to extol and praise God Almighty. Some of us might have been like, what am I going to tell the neighbors? And that's all we could think past, you know. What am I going to tell Joseph? But she's there worshiping God, understanding a woman of the Spirit. 
And you know what? She had to trust God with what the neighbor said. She had to trust God with Joseph. She told Joseph the truth. She didn't come up with some spiritual, tricky kind of thing to tell. She told him the truth and let it rest with God. Um, That's one. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when we see him come into the presence of the Lord, and it says, uh, read it, go and read it later. What happens to the prophet when he gets into the actual holy place, and he's in the heavenlies. He's seeing God on his throne, and his reaction is, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Cleanse me, Lord. This is the kind of stuff that starts happening to us when we really get in his presence in prayer. And all that stuff we, we try to bring with us, oh, God, I'll do all this stuff, stuff, stuff. Look at my stuff. I need you to. Man, that just burns away in the presence of God. And it's like you're holy. You're awesome. You more than have it all in control. You know, you forget all of that stuff. Have you ever been in a worship service? You came in burdened. You came in worried you came in uh, just downtrodden and you get in the presence of God and it burns off and it's like God is awesome I love God and where's all that stuff it's just gone in the presence of a holy God you know and it's so funny you know I, I, I don't care for much of the stuff that people have written in the last 25 50 years I like almost all of my books are written by people that I've passed on to the other side when they had something to say before all of this flesh church and all the distractions of our age, when people had time to walk and meditate and think and pray, and they, sh- they didn't have all of this noise. From the time we wake up, you know, there's the radio, there's the cell phone, there's the TV, there's the computer, there's, <laughs> I always like to remember this, that those of us that are old enough, the day when somebody used to call you at your house, and if you weren't there too bad, Remember that? <laughs> now the little the little tiny device rules our life. And, and if you don't answer your cell phone, people get mad at you. <laughs> like, like your time belongs to them and your life belongs to them. But <clears throat> back in the day when people could meditate, and I tell you what, this word takes meditation. If you're serious, you're going to have to turn some stuff off. You're going to have to get up in the spirit and take authority over your life. And a little freebie, take authority over the lives of your children. I don't care if everybody on the planet is doing it. Remember, Noah said, um, let all men be a liar and God's word still true. It was just him and his kids living holy. So don't be afraid to tell your children no. No. Don't let that stuff come in and steal their little souls. And we need to be an example we need to shut the stuff off. If we go for a day and two days and we haven't heard from God and we haven't been alone with him and we haven't cast our burdens on him and we haven't got cleansed, we're not right. You know, and this stuff about God understands, he understands that everything is more important to us than him. He understands that we say we worship him, we love him with all our heart, but we can't give him any time. Just like he understood Peter when Peter said, Where are you going, Lord? And Jesus said, you can't come with me, Peter. You're in no condition. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to die for you, Lord. And he said, really, Peter? Tonight, you're going to, the cock's going to crow, and you're going to have denied me three times. 
And the same Peter who he just said, I'll go with you and I'll die for you, Lord. He said, well, come on with me and pray. And what was it, three times Peter fell asleep? He couldn't even say a prayer for his Lord? That's how we are. That's how we are. We tell ourselves, I'm super Christian. I'm spiritual Christian. But I like to look at my life for real. When I read the word, I go, wow, I am messed up. Because I'm not living this and I'm not living that. And uh, the words of my mouth that I let come out that don't bring glory to God, the complaining, uh, talking bad about somebody, God fix me, God change me, God burn in me until I let you take all that garbage out. And uh, um, talking about these people who got in the presence of God, what I'm trying to talk to you about is getting something from heaven, from the heart of God. It comes to those who are willing to lay down and die, period. Solomon, when Solomon got into the presence of God, when they were dedicating that temple and that presence of God came down and he got in there and what was his prayer? He didn't ask for wisdom. He didn't, he didn't ask for honor. He didn't ask for riches. He asked for wisdom to rule God's people. That's what happened to him in the presence of God. And as we know, God, God loved that, and God gave him all of the other stuff that he didn't ask for, which is what God does. When we get past all that stuff, he gives us more than what we would have thought we wanted if we'll actually lay it down. Um, Jesus in the garden struggling to get past his humanness. He had flesh and soul and spirit. And he had to get into that holy place before he could die on that cross. And he'd sweat great drops of blood, agonizing over the human man, the flesh man, and the will of the soul, saying, God, let this cup pass from me. The Son of God, the perfect one, and he received the strength. The angels came and ministered to him, and he was able to get up and go and do the will of God. We could go on with examples like that, but I want to bring out this point. I wrote this down in my notes. In the Holy of Holies is clarity. We will hang out in the outer court. We'll hang out in the, in the soulish place, which is a little better, with God. And, and we'll pray in those places where we really haven't taken the time to get laid out and let go of everything. And we'll be in those places where there's confusion. And we'll be looking for that word of God. God, show me. God, show me. God, direct me. God, direct me. And there's no clarity. And do not move in that place until you've taken the time to get into that holy place of prayer and die to yourself. Because when that happens, the word of Lord will come with clarity every time. Clarity, clarity, clarity. If there's no clarity, don't move. It comes with clarity. Like I just talked about Isaiah. What did Isaiah do? Here am I. Send me. He heard God saying, where is someone for me to send? Here am I. Send me. Mary said, um, let it, your word be according to your word. Let it be to me. Um, Solomon. Solomon knew what to ask for in the presence of God. Give me wisdom to rule your people. He was the king. So that clarity will only come there. And it's very dangerous to pray fleshly, carnal, natural person prayers and then to move on what we think we might have heard. Because most of the time when we're in that place, we're trying to talk God into something. And then we'll feel a little bit of his presence or something. It's like, yeah, God said okay. And then you go ahead and marry that person. 
scary stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah, because God, God hates divorce and God loves marriage the way that he said, but because we make mistakes, that's not his fault. That's not his fault. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it there. Um, I want to go, go to Revelation chapter 12 really quick. This is a different side note. You want to learn about prayer, you've got to learn the heart of God. You've got to learn the language of God. That's, that's the whole thing. Um, hmm. If you don't have these scriptures, could you write them down? Uh, we're going to go to Revelation, but please write down Romans 8, 26 and 27. And 1 Corinthians 2, 19 through 16. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. Those are the two passages of Scripture where it talks about the Holy Ghost coming and making intercession through us because we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to pray. And he makes intercession through us with groanings, praying the heart of God, praying what's right, praying what's necessary. That's in Romans. And then the one I gave you in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16, talks about how that same Holy Ghost will reveal the deep things of the heart of God to you and I. And I think those are two of the most important passages for prayer that there are in the Word of God. If you can get those into your heart. Romans 8, 26 and 27, and 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. But I want to share this with you. Do I have time to share something really quick? Revelation chapter 12. Okay. So that was a little bit of teaching on prayer. Now I want to show you something to pray about that goes beyond the, the me, myself, and I. You know that the word says that if, if our brothers are imprisoned or they're being persecuted, that we ought to um, pray for them like, like we're being persecuted, like we're in prison with them. And that takes the work of the Holy Ghost to care, his compassion and his love. Um, when Benjamin Netanyahu went before the Congress, the Prime Minister of Israel went before our Congress to come and to warn them how beautiful it was, how God opened the door. You see, there's a whole bunch of people in this country who love the Word of God and love Israel, even though we have an administration and a head who does not. He's made it very clear that he does not. And God moved on the heart of one of those senators to invite Benjamin Netanyahu over anyways and speak to our nation. While it's a blessing, it's also very scary because this is where judgment comes in. Because God was faithful to speak to America and say, my people Israel stand in danger of being bombed by these people. And you have the power to stand up with Israel and to fight or to at least say something to disagree with Iran, to throw your weight behind stopping them. Once he came and spoke to our nation, and really the whole world was listening because of the way that that played out with, uh, with our president coming against him, and it just got lots of coverage. Once that happened, we're now responsible as a nation Many of you might not know that I think a week and a half later, um, Brother, uh, 
his mind slipped, his name slipped my mind, huh? Uh, the brother who was a Jew who got saved and became an attorney, and he's a Supreme Court lawyer, Jay Sekulow. Jay Sekulow went to the Congress a week and a half, I think, later to talk to them and to present to them the cases of Christians who are being burned alive, having their heads cut off, imprisoned all over the world, and to tell Congress what they needed to do and what it was their responsibility and duty to do to stand up against those nations that are persecuting Christians openly. So we had Benjamin Netanyahu and then uh, Brother Jay Sekulow, both Jews, ironically, even though Jay Sekulow is a born-again Jew. So I want you to look at uh, Revelation chapter 12. And uh, this, this chapter is about Israel, this chapter is about the church, and this chapter is about the dragon. I'm going to skip and make this quick. Uh, go to verse 12, 12, 12. That's an easy one for you to remember. Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. See, the devil is way more awake to what's going on in the spiritual uh, timetable of God than we are. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. You need to go back and read all of 12 and see who this woman is. It's a symbol of, of Israel in the earlier verses. Uh, who brought forth the man-child, which is Jesus Christ, which is the head of the church. So Israel brought forth Jesus, and Israel brought forth the church by bringing forth Jesus. And remember, all of the apostles of the early church were Jews. Verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And we're not going to get into that, the prophetic meaning of that right now. Um, keep reading. And the serpent cast out his mouth, cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. But that, that is Satan trying to destroy Israel. You see that in World War II. Uh, through Hitler, he tried to destroy Israel, and we saw the earth uh, helping the woman in the sense that the nations got together and granted her a nation, fulfilled that prophecy after 2,000 years that Marty talked about the other day of bringing back a people scattered all over the face of the earth to Israel to be a nation once again. Verse 16, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Those uh, Nazis were swallowed up. That was stopped. Verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman, Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, that's Israel, that's the Jews, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the church. She has two seeds. She has the Jews and she has the church. So when... I saw what happened with Benjamin Netanyahu, and then I found out like a week later that Jay Sekulow was going to our Congress as well to testify against the persecution coming against Christians, the church. Benjamin Netanyahu talking about how that the dragon was trying to destroy them moving through Iran with the bomb, and then Jay Sekulow talking about how the dragon was moving through these evil-hearted nations 
to cut off people's heads that are Christians. Anyhow, when I saw that, I said, that's Revelation chapter 12. God is telling our Congress Revelation chapter 12. And we have a responsibility. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the word has gone forth to Congress. Like it or not, there are elected officials, and they represent us, even if they don't represent the way you and I feel and think. In the eyes of God, they're the leaders of our nation. And it's the laxness and the asleepness of the church that has let people become the leaders of our country and be in office who are not right. It's all of our fault like Isaiah prayed, like Daniel prayed, and it's our forefathers' fault, and it's generational fault that we've let our nation come to this place. We've been asleep. So I wanted to share that with you to tell you to pray for our nation. Pray for Israel. Pray for our nation. Pray for the people. But God knows, and it's in his hand, but He, if things go the way they're continuing to go, it's not going to be fun, and it's not going to be pretty, but there's going to be such a harvest of people. And so he's looking for a people who have laid it all down and taken up the cry of the Spirit, taken up the heart of God, and that are prepared to be a light in a dark hour. And like the children in the, um, in the story of Moses, when the plagues came and judgment came, there was light in their house while there was darkness in Egypt. There will be light in our house, but we've got to be like the wise virgins and prepare for the night that's coming. Amen? Amen. And pray for one another. Father, we just thank you for this time together. I thank you so much for my blessed brothers and sisters, uh, young and old and in between here tonight, Lord. I pray that anything that was spoken by your spirit by your word, Lord God, that it would be planted in our heart and bring forth fruit a hundredfold, Lord. Oh, Father, that we would be hidden in you, that we would be close to you, that we would find that holy place, Lord, that we would leave the, the things of, uh, of uh, childhood and youth behind in the spirit and grow up into Christ, the head of all things. Open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, let the, the, let the pools and the ornaments and the trappings of this world grow faint and grow dim to us. And let us hear the sweet voice of our Savior when we wake up in the morning, when we lay down at night, when we walk by the way. Teach us to be a people of the Spirit and teach us to pray for one another and hold one another up and be sensitive to pray for one another, Lord. Father, we just love you and we thank you that you are with us and that you desire to teach us and show us even mysteries. Let your spirit rest upon us, Lord God, as we, as we go our way this week. Let your angels come around us, Lord God. Teach us to walk pleasing in all that we do and have mercy on us, Lord. We love you and we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. You guys got a lot to chew on now. <laughs> amazing, amazing uh, insight and revelation.